Welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast. I am Christopher Page, your host, and once again in studio with me to continue our favorite movie from our favorite movies list discussion is Matt Flynn. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. So this is exciting. Last time we talked uh, your literal favorite movie, yeah. A Clockwork Orange, which ended up being a really fun discussion, and I had a great time watching the film. So now we pulled one off of my list, and this was one of one of my favorites. Definitely, I think, would always remain in my top five, regardless of whether you know other things replace it or you know whatever. And the film is from 2009, Inc. This is the independent film that we discussed. Yep. Uh, I let you borrow my copy so you could watch it yourself. Yes. Uh, I guess I just right away I just want to start general impression. What did you think of it? Was so, it a like or dislike? It was definitely a like. Excellent. Good. I'm not lying about that. Good. Um, it's one of those things. Anytime somebody says, "Oh, this is one of my favorite movies," please watch it. I hope you like it. I always, anytime someone does that, I go, "Yeah, sure, no problem." And in the back of my mind, I go, "Oh no!" Oh, no. <laughs> I really hope I like it. I hope I'm genuine. But no, I I really enjoyed it. And uh, right from the first scene, it pulled me in. Mm-hmm. Um, just with him getting in the car, and uh, he just starts yelling. And I actually said to myself, "All right, you have my attention," and it, it kept my attention the whole way. Yeah, this film tells you right away it's not a family movie right. if language is a thing. Yes. <laughs> it's about five F-bombs. Is the, I think that those are the first lines spoken, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just I talked to, with someone about this online, and uh, we're actually, we'll actually hear from um, uh, Dave Minkus, who hosts or used to host and may still host, depending on if he brings it back and forth, Screen Geeks radio podcast. And he was the one that kind of introduced me to the film. Okay. It was because of his podcast and him discussing it. It was like every week they'd have a podcast and he'd have to mention Inc. And so I'm like, all right, fine, I'll watch it. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll hear from him later because he was nice enough to send in an MP3 for me with some thoughts. And um, I was telling him that I'm a little nervous about this because I'll admit it to being such a fanboy of this film. I was like, I don't know if I could sit and really discuss it critically. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm not sure I can find any flaw. <laughs> I'm sure there are some. So it's actually going to be fun. You're going to be looking at it a little bit more objectively, I think. Whereas sure. I'm just, I'm a full on, just like, ah. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Don't say anything bad. Get out. <laughs> no, I'm welcome to hear thoughts, you know, good or bad on the film. It's just most of the people that I've shared it with, I think only one person that I shared it with went, eh, it was all right. Mm. Everyone else was like, oh, that was really good. That was great. I really liked it. And they, a lot of them went off and bought their own copies. And, you know, it's like, great, you know, good for the – Cool. And that is, I mean, a little That's backstory. what you want. That's what you want. And a little backstory on the film is that's where this film has gotten most of its distribution. Right. Was through just word of mouth. Um, I told you the uh, – you know, briefly, I got a little bit more information uh, briefly that it was – you know, the DVDs went on sale. Someone bought it and, of course, ripped it and put it up on a, you know, on, on a torrent site. Yeah. Uh, I think I said it was Pirate Bay. turns out the, the big site was BitTorrent. Okay, yeah. At the time. And um, actually got – looked up a little information. So on BitTorrent, in a single week, it was downloaded 400,000 times. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and, and then, uh, again, the, you know, the filmmaker said after that happened – their uh, DVD sales spiked. They went up. And it was these people downloading. It was like, oh, it was really great. And they went and bought the film. And they were telling their friends about it. And they went and bought the film. Uh, like overnight, they went from somewhere like the 
14,000th movie on IMDb to like number 16. Wow. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and there's a real short amount of time. Uh, it's just, it was an amazing, um, it was just an amazing turn of events with this film. And then from that point on, it's just all been this sort of word of mouth mm. that has carried this film through. And so it was actually fun to get a chance to, again, you know, share it once more. Now we actually get to discuss it. So, and I'm, I'm kind of banging in my head, okay, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Okay. You enjoyed it. Uh, I guess general question would be just one of the things that I love about the film is kind of the art direction of the film and how the film, how it was filmed. Yeah. Um, there's really kind of three, maybe four worlds, quote unquote, within the film, and each one has their own very unique look. Yeah. Uh, how did that kind of uh, impress on you? Um well, seeing as how you gave me like a very brief description of what it was, I was trying to keep myself aware of that. And I guess at least to start, I hit this point of which world am I in? Mm. Like, am I in a dream right now or am I in the real world right now? Because they're all, th there's no really one moment where everything's perfectly clear. Because even the mm -hmm. real world, it's very bright. Um, and then you just kind of throw filters in and then, you know, the, the incubi world is really dark. So I just kind of, I had to keep up. And then when I, as the movie went along, I, it, they became very distinct and noticeable. And, uh, so I enjoyed that, that mm -hmm. the more you learned, the more you figured, you figured it all out. And so I was able to do that. And I liked, they were very good about keeping it separate, even when the worlds were sort of merging or kind of overlapping. Yeah. Because you had the, the storytellers in our world, but when you saw things from their point of view, it wasn't exactly like it was just tweaked a little bit. So yeah. it wasn't as like it was in the real world. Right. Uh, that's something I really enjoyed. I guess maybe we should briefly kind of do a, a kind of a synopsis of sure. the film a little bit. Uh, in the, the, the briefest of terms, a as it turns out, in, you know, in our world, there are there is another world, kind of just outside of our world, and it is inhabited by kind of two factions one is storytellers right and they come at night and they're the ones that give us all the good dreams you know the, i think they showed us you know winning the lottery or the the woman i love the woman that was eating cake the and the whole time the scale she's numbers losing were weight, <laughs> losing weight. <laughs> the kid who's the rock star and yeah. the athlete and he gets the girlfriend <laughs> exactly uh so i love the um one of the first things that struck me and I always loved about the film it's always like the, the little things is when the storytellers kind of enter our world their little twinkly pop yeah. effect sounds I don't like know a, why I just love that sounds like an old flash bulb going off <laughs> yeah and, oh that's a good but idea. then and, and then it also looks like an old TV coming on and like there's just this break like mm -hmm. I guess in reality for a moment and then they've entered right but yeah I like that sound because then you'd start to hear it without seeing them come in but then you're like oh they're here right you and know so, what it was yeah right. so that sound really sticks with you pretty quickly now the other faction are the incubi mm -hmm. and these are an incredibly creative in the most simplistic terms kind yeah. of creatures they're the men with uh, wearing what appears like probably you know leather Believe me, at this budget for the film, it wasn't leather, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but they're all all black, and their faces are somewhat hidden by some sort of a, a shield. But on this shield, their faces are rotoscoped. Yeah, and so it gives them a very otherworldly look. And, and these, they're, they're all smiling oh, very they're all brightly. Very happy, yes, 
And these are the ones that give us our nightmares. These are the ones that feed our, our anxieties at, at night. And you know, some of these dreams are terribly dark. The woman harassing the, the, the her husband and what did she actually murder? Yeah, <laughs> she suffocated. Yeah, him she's and, got a plastic bag over his head, and yeah, yes. it's twisted. It's not just nightmares as much as it's just a completely haunting, twisted reality. Exactly. Now there are these two factions, but there's also these drifters that uh, people that have entered this world and haven't really chosen a side. Yeah, haven't chosen a side. Say that right. Uh, one of these is a character named Ink, mm-hmm. who is a strange figure uh, dressed in rags, and his goal is to steal a soul of a child and uh, give it as a sacrifice, more or less, to the Incubi in order for them to take him into their group and, as in their view, erase any the pain. He's right. in pain, and we find out why later. And he's hoping that they'll be able to erase his pain and bring him to this level of, quote-unquote, perfection that the Incubi feel that they've achieved. Yeah. And the storytellers, of course, fight to stop this yeah. from happening. And then the film is, in course, kind of discovering how much of this girl and Ink are tied together in the real world. And I'm not going to really gonna go into spoil... I'm not going to spoil the film. At okay. least I'm going to try not to. I'm going to have to try not to, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a feeling that maybe, I mean, we didn't hold back on Clockwork Orange, but that was a lot older film. It's a 40-year-old movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Ink's a little different. It's not that old, but we'll, we'll try not to spoil it too much. But yeah, their, their lives are intertwined. Their, their fates are intertwined. Their futures and their pasts are intertwined, you know, all in this film. And told story-wise... For a film that kind of wiggles around a little bit with the timelines, I think yeah. it does a pretty good job of not muddying it up so much that you're scratching your head trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Yeah, for me, I did it first. But then again, as it goes on, it's starting to make sense. And I was kind of reminding myself of that. I go, well, just let's see where this goes, and it'll probably all add up. And it does, and it adds up very seamlessly. Because that first scene is actually like halfway into the movie Mm -hmm. that that's what that moment is supposed to be in terms of like chronologically. Um, and I just kept remembering thinking like, all right, are we going to go back to that? Are we going to revisit that moment? Is (laughs) it, how does this play? All right, keep watching. And then it plays and then it, it plays very well. Mm -hmm. What did you think? How long, this is the point where this makes it hard to not to spoil because you have to, there are certain things you need to talk about, or I want to talk about, uh, how long, was it pretty quick, or did it take you a while to figure out who Ink was? Um, not too long. Once he started talking, mm-hmm. once he really started to like have some lines, um, that was kind of a giveaway for me. Yeah, right. Um, I almost kind of wish that maybe they did like a different actor, um, mm-hmm. because the, obviously his face didn't play. He had right. there was so much prosthetics on him that maybe they could have gotten a different actor and cuz his voice was pretty distinct and it right. was recognizable and so that that that's when it I got tipped off. Well, and I don't know and this is a question I'd love to actually get a hold of the filmmakers and and ask them is whether it was kind of intentional to try to hide it or if it was supposed to be uh obvious mm. for the for the viewer and really was it just supposed to be for us to 
watch his journey through the film rather than us really trying to unravel the mystery. Right. Where cause I think in the end, if it was a different actor, then you go, oh, wait, that was who? Oh, you know, would that it's true, yeah. throw the question marks up? Right, because I started going, oh, I think that's really it's that person. Okay. And then when it was revealed, I was like, yeah, okay, there we go. Figured it out. <laughs> and, and what we're pretty much talking about, there are similarities between some of the characters in the other worlds and the real world. Yeah. And they kind of, kind of counterparts. And I, one thing, a friend of mine that I actually watched the film was a little confused because they, the actresses were very similar to each other. Was uh, John the uh, the little girl's father's mm-hmm. late wife looked very similar to the head storyteller leave? Yeah, I thought that too. I go, is that supposed to be her? Is that is that the wife? Is mm-hmm. that? I kept wondering that, and so I I had to look it up. I go, no, different person, different okay. actors. Yeah, because that's what I thought too, and especially when Leave goes to try to like rescue the little girl, I was like, "Is mom rescuing the girl? What's happening right. here?" And why doesn't the girl recognize her? Right, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, they're different actors, but they have actually very similar looks. And I, honestly, it was kind of one of these things that maybe even in my head I was kind of connecting them to. And so when he was like, "Oh yeah, they're the oh yeah, I recognize them as being the same," and I'm like, "Oh okay," and it wasn't until like later viewings I was like, "No, wait, that's not right." Yeah. <laughs> But then at the same time, it, it there was sort of that family dynamic going on between sure. them of, of Ink is really angry, but Leave is keeping the little girl safe and is mm-hmm. trying to maintain the order. And it's just like, all right, you know what? You're in charge, and but I'm going to tell fun stories to the little girl. That way she feels a little bit safer. Right. So things like that. Well, let's talk about the uh, the characters and the, the, the characters, how they portrayed the characters and the characters that they created for the film, sure. both in, in the real world and, and in, in the um dream world let's call mm-hmm. it uh so what do you what do you think of that first of all what did you think of ink i mean the look of ink and compared to everything else he was so unlike everything else not yeah. that there was really oh everyone looks like this mm-hmm. other than the incubi who all tried to look like they were attempting to sort of mimic the look of each other everywhere else was a lot of individuality right um so there wasn't a lot of oh that's definitely because he's in kind mm-hmm. of thing but ink what do you think of ink yeah, ink. Um, uh, to me, there's just this old uh, saying of like, never show the monster because it's always scarier in your head. Mm-hmm. And I guess when you kind of see ink's face for the first time, I was just sort of like, it's grotesque, um, right. but it's not what I was expecting. Like ink just in like the big hood and the rags because he's he looks really big. He's very imposing and it's like that big cloak of his and it's all tattered like that was way creepier than anything else they could have shown and mm-hmm. uh, even though it, it still was important to show his face and, and to show what had happened to him that to me was the more interesting part knowing less about him um, and that he's just got all these things hanging off him and he's got the tiny drums and like oh he's got huge knives like he probably can hide a lot under that cloak and <laughs> so that's what made him one dangerous and two interesting mm-hmm what do you think of the storytellers and all their each each storyteller? You get the impression that they're all from different times. Yeah, the impression I got. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, then it's revealed that the storytellers are actually the the souls of 
of anyone who has died. And mm-hmm. so as that was revealed, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool because you can see the way one person's dressed over here and another person's dressed over there. And they start talking about how time works differently. And maybe they've all been there at the same time relative to each other, but not relative to the real world. So that they're all learning together because you can see how some of them are friends. And it's just like you wouldn't be friends. You know, you live like 150 years apart, <laughs> right, right. but you got to know each other. And I thought that was cool because that, that jumped out to me right away. It's like they're all wearing completely different clothing. And then you see the incubi and they're all uniform. Mm-hmm. And it goes into that idea of we'll make you perfect ink. You know, you'll be just like us wearing the same thing, looking the same way. Mm-hmm. But then over here you have the individuality of the storytellers. And that that's what kind of adds to what makes them special. I think it was probably just one of those great happenstances when it comes to a film that had a minuscule budget. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that it was like, well, we don't have the money to dress everyone the same. So you go to, you get whatever you got. Right. Okay. He, great. He's from the thirties. She's from the eighties. She's <laughs> from who knows when, you know? Um, and they just put them in those clothes and yeah. it, and that really makes it work. Yeah, just bring whatever you got at home. <laughs> and I say minuscule budget. I, I didn't remember what it was exactly until I, uh, did a little research coming up quarter of a million two hundred fifty thousand dollars which is ridiculous because when you hear like when you told me oh it was this low budget indie movie i'm expecting just a lot of long scenes with dialogue because mm-hmm. that's what you usually get instead you got villains that look scary with a clever bit of wardrobe you got you know your 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 main villain who's in this big robe that probably didn't cost a lot but it looks interesting right you've got everybody wearing that unique clothing but then to top it all off the fight sequences were very well choreographed which i was not expecting and they don't have one or two they've got like five of them right and they're all done really well you got people doing flips you've got people you know jumping off indoor balconies you've got people doing wall kicks and running along the walls you've got you know you know they're smashing drawers over each other's heads, and which with and all these fight scenes include special effects. So right. they you someone will get thrown into a glass coffee table, and, and, then, you, it and then it itself. it fixes itself because you know they're not supposed to affect our world exactly. Right. Which I when she smashed through the window the first time, my thought was, how are they going to? Exp- oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it fixed itself. All right. I was like, how's anyone going to be like? Well, someone clearly broke in the window and took our girl. Like, oh no. It fixed itself. And then I kept waiting for it to happen. The lamp got thrown across the room, and the lamp went back, and the yeah. coffee table got broken, and it got fixed. Yeah, the special effects in the film, and we're, I, I'm sorry, my apologies for kind of jumping all around. I told you I was a big fanboy on this. <laughs> the special effects are kind of what wows me. For the budget that they had, the level of special effects, I thought, were was astounding. The whole yeah. re- reverse building things and right. the uh you know, the zipping into nowhere the the uh, uh opening the portals uh to the yeah. other to the dream yeah, worlds and everything what did you think of the the key to the the portals was the the sound of the the little drums the little drum i, I really thought it was just really that. unique it was because it it adds that whole like mysticism of the world they live in um, mm-hmm. that that it's more magic based yeah. than i mean it could have been anything yeah they could have done anything. He could have like blown a horn. He could have, of, you know, shook his hand a certain wave way. a magic he wand. Could yeah, could have painted a symbol. But like the drum, like you don't. I've never seen somebody. And it's a tiny drum. It's just right. like, this little bongo he's got <laughs> hanging off of his neck. But he's got all different ones, and they all mm-hmm. do different things. And then when, but it was clever how that one storyteller was like, "That's the one I got to break," and so right. she ruins it, and it slows him down. And and I was just like, "That's." Clever. Mm-hmm. Like, I hadn't seen that done before, and I really like that part. Yeah, 
getting back into some of the characters and the word unique, I think, is going to come up a few times in yeah. the conversation because the characters they create, I think, are very unique or at least unique as being far as far as all being in the same film. Right. <laughs> kind of, especially the uh, the one you get the impression she was probably an actress, the one drifter who Ink has to visit in order to get uh, a, the code right. to get to the assembly, to the to get to the Incubi headquarters. Right. And they go to this one woman who is living just on the outskirts of the dream world. And she's very uh, like Laura Desmond or, or, <laughs> or Nora Desmond? Nora Desmond, I guess was. And, oh, every, my fans are here to see me. Yes. yes. Very strange and odd woman. I just, again, very unique but creepy at the same time, I yep. thought. Uncomfortable. They did a really good job with doing that in the dream world of, you know, unless it was a storyteller, you felt uncomfortable in a mm. lot of places. Ink makes you feel uncomfortable. The the drifters make you feel uncomfortable. Not even just her, but the other guy who is sort of like this like used car salesman living in an abandoned warehouse. Right. Yes. And, and then he'll buy anything, mm -hmm. but, you know, and but his life means nothing to him. Oh, he's, I love that. He's right. willing to die to get that valuable that item and then we get to her and then you're just sort of like she's gone really far off the reservation <laughs> yeah. so and then and then you finally get to to the to the assembly and you see like the head incubi and just you're uncomfortable from start to finish mm -hmm. outside of the real world and away from the storytellers in the real world uh, talking characters let's talk about john he is you know emma's father mm -hmm. who uh, is um what's the word estranged yes uh from emma because of you know he's a I guess a, a stock trader a stockbroker, yeah. and he you know he gets on the fast track they, they they have a great sort of flashback sort of montage montage yeah. and gives him his past how he meets his wife Shelley uh, his you know he starts work at the you know bottom level of some stock trading company and he ends up you know selling four million junk bonds and he's the wolf of Wall Street <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. And he's just on his fast track, and there's celebration, and there's drinking, and there's drugs. And and so in the end, when uh, the wife passes away, it looks like it was a car accident, I think, is what happened yeah. to her. Uh, she dies. The grandparents take custody of Emma because they right. don't feel she's safe in, in mm -hmm. John's hand. And it kind of destroys that aspect of his life. If he had anything to cling on to other than his work— that it was gone, and it's what creates John, right. the character, which and again got to you know kind of spoil it. It's what <laughs> creates Ink. Yeah, yes, and um, that was one of the things that I like because they you get like a slow burn on on mm. his backstory. They don't show it all right away because when I first met John, I was like, he's a jerk. Mm -hmm. I don't care. And then you see how his job starts, and then how he meets his wife, how they fall in love, and you're sort of like. No, actually, he's he's a good guy. He's just he's kind of caught between worlds in a way. Mm -hmm. um, foreshadowing, oh, foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's caught between his job and the woman he loves and the baby he loves. And they show like you know Emma as a as a baby, and yeah, that's the one positive aspect in his life. But it even seemed to me at the time it almost wasn't enough because they even have that one scene where he comes in late. And his wife's crying, and you know she's saying this can't go on. He's like, "Oh, you know, we just had a good day," and it's, so it's like the death of his wife isn't what isn't what sent him in the downward spiral, but it was what pushed him over the edge. Mm. 
Um, like he was already kind of leaning that way and that was like the last straw. And so it explains why he almost doesn't care what's going on with Emma. He's like, no, 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 that's already, that's over with. That part of my life is gone. I'm, I'm just focusing on my job. And so it makes him very relatable mm-hmm. and you're like, I can understand a person going through that. Really appreciate the way you were just talking about how they filled you in with his backstory. And like I said, it wasn't all at once and it wasn't necessarily linear. No. But it was still easy to understand. Once you kind of get an idea of what's going on, you you get one line in the film where, well, time doesn't work the same. You know, mm-hmm. one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And then suddenly, you know, you know that linear doesn't – it doesn't fit anymore. Right. So what's happening now might have happened in the past or it's happening in the future. And it's really up to you to sort of – figure out and sew it back together at the end of the film. It's a film that makes you think a little bit at the end and you almost have to sit. Sometimes I think the first time I saw it, I sat there and had to think about it and then, ah, got it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And I think this is one of the things I really enjoyed was how it decided to, to break up the linear story. Um, I almost wonder how they filmed it. If they filmed it in order and then just cut it, or if it was always a plan from the start, um, that's something I would love to, to ask the director. Um, but it's cause it's one of those things, like I said, I was kind of confused going in, but it's just, as you kind of keep peeling back those layers and seeing more and it keeps moving forward, like this makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Characters and, and actors. I mean, when you talk characters, it's how the actors portray them. I thought for a child actor, young Emma, she was good. She was really good. I, got such a kick out of, you know, when she's introduced, when she's sitting there playing with her dolls. Uh, she's, like, playing with her dolls, and, you know, quick, they're storming the castle. Oh, Sir, Sir Lancelot. Sir Lan- no! You know, the, the rabbit's lying on the bed and won't move. You know, why? <laughs> it's definitely, you get the impression she's she's a girl with a little bit of a dark side to her, too. Yeah. You know, maybe she's seen some films and some TV shows she probably shouldn't have at right. that young of an age or whatever. But she's just hysterical watching her do that. And, of course, Grandma comes to the door. is like, Emma, you should be asleep. (laughs) (laughs) I I I thought she was brilliant. Right. And it just makes me wonder, like, how do you get a girl that young to act that well? (laughs) Like, how much of it was acting? How much were they were just sort of like, pretend you're asleep? And then she just made that up. Because it seemed very authentic, Mm -hmm. her fake snore. Right. And, like, I don't know if anyone taught her that. Just pretend to be asleep, and she just did it. And Mm -hmm. it's like, record that. That's perfect. Exactly. I think it's always fun. The kids must love it when you give them permission to say bad words, too. (laughs) I'm sure their parents don't, but, yeah, for a film, it's great. (laughs) Um, Her uh, initial scene with her father when they're – it turns out to be a dream of of her father's when he's – playing with her in like sort of like a clubhouse out in the field behind their house and they're you know oh no you have to help dad you have to dig the moat before the monster comes and she's pretending she's being dragged off by the monster you know again foreshadowing, foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> and he finally he decide he tries to convince her that yeah this isn't this isn't what i do get your mom to play and then finally he jumps in and he plays and he swings it around and she's yelling yeah get away you bastard <laughs> when how long have you been saying when that did you, when did you start using the word bastard <laughs> and that's another scene i wonder about because it is a dream and i wonder if it was a dream that was created or if it's a memory mm-hmm. that was that that the storyteller brought 
into his mind. Yeah. Like, did that really happen, or is that just like a, a happy thought? Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that it was a, a memory. I do too. Because yeah. I, I, maybe it, told in a dream form, right. but it was a memory. Try, yeah. Something to give him the hang on to, give him that push to do what he needed to do next. Right. In the linear time, in his time frame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see, characters we've talked about, Ink and John. We talked ca- about Emma. The character I want to talk about is Jacob. Yes. He's yes. my favorite. Well, that kind of leads up because <laughs> this film, I tell you what. If you're not sold on this film, at the I think it's like the 59 minute mark begins a incredible scene with Jacob. Yeah, and Jacob is a pathfinder. Right. He has the ability to affect the real world. Yeah. In a minuscule way, it appears, but he, he, the point is, he can affect the real world. He can't right. go and like bash things around or that we know of, but he can affect the real. He world. He knows how to manipulate it. Yes. Yeah. He's the blind man. Yeah, and before we get into it, that, that's probably the one question I really want to ask, because I just want to know more about this world. It's it's not so much this is a, a criticism of the movie. Like, it, it actually, I, I would call it a compliment, because there's more I want to know. But, like, how is a spirit blind? Mm. How do they hurt each other? You know, where do they go <laughs> when they die? Things yeah. like that. Because you find out that they are, there is a, they're mortal. Right. That they can be they, they they can be killed. So where do they go? What's the afterlife of the afterlife? Mm-hmm. And so, but to me, all those questions center around Jacob, because he's the first one you realize there's a flaw, and that's his eyesight. Right. Um, but like right when you meet him from the start, and he's going one, two, three, four, step two, three, three. four, and then he three. falls, yeah. and he's like one, two, three, branch, branch. <laughs> Hello, dirt. How are we today? And like he's so over the top, and. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and just the way he does everything, it's like, okay, I want a sequel, and I want it centered around him. Yes. You want to know more, but yeah, he is fantastic. Just call it Jacob the Pathfinder, and I'm mm-hmm. on board. <laughs> <laughs> now, he is brilliant. Yeah. The, the actor does a fantastic job. And that's one of those things where you wonder, that's when I like to talk to filmmakers and get yeah. in their head, is like, okay, you create, you had this character. How much of that character that we see on screen came from the page and how much did the actor bring right or how much was okay that's what i wrote it but you know now that i'm here let's try this you right know, where did it all come from right let's go just a hair zany mm-hmm. uh not too far but just enough right. and and the funny thing is is even the other characters know he's a little off because uh-huh. there's that part where she's like try having a conversation with him yeah don't expect to until there's a conversation with him oh and he gets a little handy right (laughs) exactly so they know he's a little off Uh so it makes me wonder that part of it was on the page but then also that actor took it to another level too Mm -hmm. because he did a great job with it yeah was a (laughs) crazy blind bastard on the loose (laughs) was that on the page (laughs) right maybe not (laughs) or maybe they just kept pushing what was on the page maybe he just acted to a point they were like we got to rewrite a little bit because he's going somewhere we have to keep going but the 59 minute mark uh jacob explains really what happens he understand he explains that he can see you know as he put it god took his sight but gave him other gifts so he can hear the like the pulse of the world the beat of the world the beat of the yeah. world and he explains how uh all through um what happened effectively what happened to john that you know you lose you i wish i, had, I should have the line in front of me i don't have the <laughs> quote uh maybe I'll, this will be the, one of these episodes that i finally actually have to edit and i put in scenes from the film <laughs> uh, but how one thing leads to another right 
And then he explained, he starts counting off and he start looking around the world and the entire world is following oh, this beat. beat. And again, $250,000 people on a city street, right. a public street, d- downtown Denver, mm-hmm. <laughs> as I think is where they, this particular scene was done. Had to have been like on a Sunday afternoon or something when there isn't crowd. I don't know how they how they did it. It was amazing. Yeah, I wonder if those were just some of their friends and their extras, or if they just started filming people and they yeah. realized, you know what, we kind of just naturally move to this beat. And it's true, we do. Like when you walk, it's a certain pace, and you know when you do regular daily activities, you probably could line it up to the simple one, two, three, four beat. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a great scene. It's my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. Um, and that's when he says, you know, we got to break up the flow, and so one thing leads to this, which leads to that, which leads to this, which leads to our opening scene. Right. And you- it's wonderful. And that's when that's when it, everything clicked for me, and I was right. like, "Okay, I know where we're going, yeah, and at, I know at, how at we the got hour here." Our mark, you finally get back to the beginning of the movie. Yes, <laughs> and it's good because movies try that, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And in this one, it worked wonderfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I love is at the hour mark, you get back to the beginning of the movie, even though at about somewhere in between there, we actually pass this mark, but in a different way. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I think describing the film is actually going to confuse people. Please go watch this movie. Uh, it all makes sense in the end. <laughs> it does make sense in the end. You know, Jacob is amazing. I think he's the character a lot. A lot of people that I've shared this with have glommed on to. Yeah. Said, oh, Same for me. Jacob was awesome. You know. So, yeah. Because he provides a lot of the humor that's in the, involved yeah. in the film. So. Yeah, because without him, it's a pretty humorless movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but he sprinkled just enough throughout and especially then whenever they cut back to him i was just sort of like good jacob's gonna talk now this is gonna be fun <laughs> a little bit of the um again i talked about the uh, the, the art direction and the uh, the design the set design that they created for some of these worlds again you know low budget so they had to just kind of make do okay we've got a studio or we've got a warehouse how can we make this weird uh let's hang up a bunch of plastic sheets and shine some lights through it yeah you know and that's going to be the incubi world or whatever <laughs> it's like all right that works but then they what they do is to kind of distract you from the fact that this is just a cheap set i think they do a lot with sound they do yeah uh when the incubi move the sound of their clothes moving is exaggerated mm-hmm. so you hear this leather or vinyl sound scratching squeaking. and ripping and yeah, yeah yeah as they move and and as when they talk, they are actually processed just a little bit, and they talk in the whispers. And I think that it's just one of those things where, okay, we can't do this, so we'll do this because we've got this amount of money, right? And so we're just going to have to make do and uh, call your aunt and your grandma and whatever, <laughs> and let's get together with some scissors and we'll we'll put we'll piece this together. Yeah, and I think in the end that is what. I love most about this film is the level of we're just going to have to make do but they manage it so much better than a lot of other indies do yeah I don't know there's just they had this I don't don't know what magic deity or whatever that they (laughs) sacrificed to whatever to make this all work but they they just pulled something off that 
I haven't seen in many other small, low-budget films. Right. To me, it's a great movie that you should show in like a film school. Mm, yeah, like you yeah. can get a, you can get by a whole movie with just like smoke and mirrors, mm-hmm. and you just angle it right, you light it right, and then you know they did a lot with filters and you know yeah. blurring the edges. That way, maybe you don't necessarily see the full cheapness, and they darken the edges in certain spots. But it also played to the atmosphere of the world that they were making. It wasn't just to get by with no money it was this is the world too so things like that yeah they didn't do anything that anyone honestly with a computer and you know adobe after effects or something right couldn't do but they were they were able to mix all these little bits of things that anyone could do into the right combination yeah it makes me wonder what came first like the movie idea or let's center like, did, did the idea of the world come first or did did the realization we have no money and we've got to make the world look a certain way mm-hmm. come first? What did you think about the end? The end, I can see as being, oh, that's the end? Yeah, it was or, abrupt. Yeah, it was very much, and... Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's one of those movies that's you know, it's ending on the climax. There's no after. There's no, like, you know, does he get custody of his daughter back? Does, you know, does it end happily ever after? Or does he kind of go right back? You know, he has that moment where his phone rings and he chooses he chooses his daughter over the phone ringing and his company. Um, so that's a big moment. So that makes me wonder that like, he's kind of given that life up, but it's, it's open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, does, you know, I think he heals his relationships. Um, he starts to be a better person, but you don't necessarily have to assume that. No. Um, yeah, the story's not over. I think that's what right. I appreciate is like this part of the story's over. Their story isn't over. Right. Exactly. Our, you know, our, viewing it mm-hmm. is over and that's all we we needed i guess yes were there any other uh scenes other than you know jacob and the, uh, the the hour mark uh is was there any other scenes for you that really stood out and uh um as uh john is okay well this is something i'll say uh this if there is a critique i have okay. sorry to do this to you <laughs> Um, I think I'm ready for it. As someone who has uh, been working in various hospitals for about a decade, uh, their set for a hospital couldn't have looked worse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Well, like, he's in his bed, and above him is a pegboard. (laughs) Hmm, I didn't notice. Oh, I noticed right away. I can't help it. Um, And next to him, rather than a nightstand, is a toolbox. (laughs) It's like a red (laughs) toolbox. And I'm just sort of like... This is the worst. Like it looked more like a garage, a finished garage or a tool shed. And then there's the part where he's just sort of wandering the halls and he walks by like five hospital employees. Mm -hmm. But the person he decides to stop to find out where pediatrics is, is the one doctor who's running down the hall. (laughs) When a doctor's running down the hall, you you don't interrupt. And two, they wouldn't stop. She stopped to answer his question. It's like, don't you have somewhere to be? Doctors only run for one reason. Someone's actively dying. They wouldn't be like, because he's like, uh, I'm looking, if I was looking for a kid where, and she's just sitting there like, or standing there waiting for him to finish his thought. It would be like, no, I got to go. You're not, it, that's the one thing that kind of like, they did no research for what a hospital would be like. I mean, I appreciated their effort. Mm-hmm. But that's the one thing where I just can't I can't turn off my own profession and what I know of that environment. Yeah, okay, well. It, it's just like... Yeah, well, you're mm, definitely coming at that from a very unique... Very, it's a very unique, very personalized yeah. 
place that it's just like anytime I watch like a doctor show or a medical show, I do the oh, same that's thing. It's gotta be rough. Oh yeah, it drives people I'm with nuts. I'm just like, that's not how that happens. Like, so that I think that, he just prescribed him glue. What, you know? <laughs> yeah, things like that. Uh, so that was just one thing where I was just. It, I guess for me it's a criticism because it pulled me out ah, of gotcha. of the movie and it, it brought me back to to reality and I like to be immersed in a movie and that 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 broke the bubble for me just for a brief time, um, but then I was able to go right back in because they did a great job in that scene also as he's slowly walking the halls and the incubi are coming down and they're supposed to set off their emergency signal and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. The problem I had though is I didn't understand that that's what that was supposed to be. Mm. I thought it was supposed to be a bomb. Mm. I thought that's what they made. Like this is the. I thought. I thought it was like a self-sacrificing kind of thing. We're going to set this off. It's going to take them out, but it's going to take us out. Yeah, I didn't thought, get it right away. Yeah, the only line I think they give us is, uh, "We'll we'll set the." I forget what they called it. We'll set something in case we need to call in the big guns. I think is. What and I didn't said. know what that meant. Yeah. Because um, my thought was just like you know the big guns were just other storytellers. Why weren't they ready to go? At a moment's notice, anyway. Like mm. why did that have to happen? Like that right. it felt out of place with everything else that they had made. Um, but it was still a cool sequence of Jacob has to run and make sure it works. Mm-hmm. Um, one, two, three, four, one, one two, two, three. three. Yeah. <laughs> he never breaks. <laughs> um, um, but that whole fight sequence was cool because it's like the, the part where he finally gets to Emma's room. And well, what's the female storyteller's name? The one who felt like she was responsible for losing Emma. Oh. Um, Alal, Alil. I got it here. I got the whole cast. I just don't know how to pronounce it. I think Alel. Alel, I think. And yeah. she's she's got her staff, and she's at the door, and she's physically holding them back. And there's like half a dozen of them, and she's pushing them back. And he's like three inches right. behind her. I thought that was a great sequence because it's also slowed down a little bit. The music was really building mm-hmm. up the, the mood, and you're just sort of like, he's right there, but they're right there. And she's doing all she can to hold these like six evil creatures back. physically back and it was a really for me it was a really good sequence we talked a lot in um, uh, Clockwork Orange talking how Kubrick shot some of the scenes where you could take either any of them and make them works of art and stuff there are a few scenes I think in Ink that just you can't necessarily make it a work of art. You can't do it. It's not something you would put on a, a in a frame or anything. But they're just scenes that just stand out as just being, just saying that's a cool shot. Yeah. Um, one was after John has his auto accident. Uh, two of the storytellers are kind of riding shotgun to protect him, but they're doing it from on top of the ambulance. Yes. <laughs> and so there's just a scene of them driving down the street, sitting on top of the ambulances. The light. Or the light is going, and it, otherwise it's it's fairly dark. It's just against the the city skyline. I don't know why. I just I love that scene. There's just that's just a really neat shot. Yeah, and it's done at just the right angle, and just with the the colors, and again, you know, the music. And I think they have a they have a few lines, and I that's just one of those shots that I love. I also love all the uh, storyteller in the uh, in the forest. How they shot yeah. the forest is is fantastic. Yeah, and I wonder if they kind of did that as to like, well, we got to break it up. We've been in the city in the same warehouse. <laughs> Let's just go out to the woods. Let's go to the woods. <laughs> Guess what? Storytellers live in the woods. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you just briefly mentioned the music. Music, the score for this film. Yeah. Uh, again, done by the Winans themselves. It is incredibly subtle, but at the same time, incredibly important. And mm-hmm. I think, again, it's just one of those things that it, that's exactly what you want in a film. You don't want the score 
blowing itself, blowing out the scene. You don't want to notice it, but you do. It, it, like in the back of your head, you notice it. Yeah. And it's that one of those scores too, where you can listen to it on its own, and it makes those scenes pop in your head. Yeah. For me, a score is always one of those things that shouldn't tell you how to feel. It should just amplify how you're feeling, mm-hmm. and that's what it did. Yeah. Um, especially in that last part where you know Jacob's running back to the device, and and she's trying to hold them off, and just the the way it sounded, like I I felt like th- this to me is the greatest moment of danger. Like they could lose, and mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if they were going to win, especially since kind of figuring out who Ink is. I kept right. thinking like. Are we going to fail? Is the story going to go full circle and it's like doomed to repeat? Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. So that that to me was really where the music uh, jumped out the most. And, and maybe that's something you could write into to this ending is maybe, you know, what we see, what we see with ink, maybe it is something that we see that it does happen further down the line. Maybe it happens next week. I mean, you don't know. That's what sure. I loved about the, the, the end is like, well... We just saw all this transpire, so you can't tell me that it didn't happen. But right. yeah, so yeah, the story continues, I right. guess, or does it? Yeah, I, I anytime I see uh, a movie for the first time, I like to like jump online and just see what other people are thinking and saying. And and almost everybody sort of said that because it was nonlinear and time work different that um, that John saves himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I looked at it that way too. It's like well. Can we assume that? Because yeah. maybe he doesn't. Maybe he still goes through everything, and then yeah, it's just he he saves his daughter and right. not himself, mm-hmm. or maybe saves his daughter this time. Yeah, maybe not the next time. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I've read a few uh, criticisms, both good and bad, for the film. You go to the IMDb message boards or the the reviews through there and everything. And the one thing that I always hate, and there's a bunch of them out there, I couldn't make it past 15 minutes. <laughs> Had you sat for five more minutes, I guarantee you would have been hooked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it, it's it starts off with that really good opening scene, but then. It doesn't. It does slow. It gets right. Slow, it goes yeah. slow. It doesn't address it because you're just sort of sitting there going, "Wait, what happened?" Because there's the guy that was in the accident. What's going on? I'm confused. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's that long, really long scene, seeing all the storytellers like walk in and like they're they're popping in and they're walking down the road. And I just remember going, "I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're not human. Can we move forward a little bit?" <laughs> but, um. I think it was just their way of just sort of trying to create the atmosphere and the mood that, you know, they they show up, they take their time, they're having fun, they're, they're pl- like, you know, when when you're there to bring good dreams to people, you don't rush, you know, right. like, it's just it's just sort of their attitude and their personality. Mm-hmm. Well, you even see a scene with Alel who's in the room, she's there to give Emma a good dream, but Emma's not asleep. Right. So she's just sitting on the edge of the bed. Waiting. Waiting. Yeah. Watching Emma play, watching her do her fake snore, laughing her butt off, you know, at everything. She's, yeah. Yeah, she's taking her time. She's got nowhere to be. She's dead. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, it's an interesting world. And that's what I love most about the film is this, this, again, here comes that word unique. It's a unique world, several unique worlds all blended together into a unique movie. Yeah. Um, we we talked about a couple of the criticism reviews and what people thought of it. Uh, this is as good as time as any to segue into 
uh, the MP3 that I talked about that Dave Minkus sent in. Again, he was the one that, you know, him incessantly talking about this movie for a year is what made me finally watch it. I'm so glad he did. So I'm so glad he uh, sent this in. Hey, guys, this is Dave Minkus. Uh, I volunteered to Chris to talk about that first time I saw Ink and just kind of my journey with the film in general. It was, good Lord, this has been quite a few years ago. Uh, this was back when we had the tradition of everyone coming out to Starfest. We had Geek, uh, Billy Flynn from Geek Radio Daily and Christopher and Steve and all kinds of folks coming out. And our tradition on Saturday night was always to just kind of hang out in our room. Uh, I started bringing a projector and we'd just watch bad movies or whatever. And one year, a buddy of mine, Nate, told me I had to go see this movie that was showing in their main events room during the big shindig and dance and party. Uh, it's a little flick called Ink. It's from some local filmmakers. I was like, you know, I'm a movie nerd. You know, I've run Screen Geeks. Used to, might still, who knows. Um, but... I said I'd go see it, so everyone else decided to party. We always would get a room with a balcony, and at this hotel, the balconies are on the inside, so you can watch the party and see just really weird stuff. So I, I didn't blame everyone for not wanting to go, but I couldn't be... I just couldn't expect what I was about to see. Um, the room had maybe, you know, 15, 20 people in it, it hold a few thousand. But what I saw was a film... That just captured my imagination. It's a film that looks like it was made for a few million dollars. And I'd come to find out later that they made it for a quarter of a million. Which, the effects in this film just kind of are, are mind-blowing on that level. And as I talked to Jamin and Kiowa later, came to understand the, the true labor of love this film was. The man put so much work into that film with the, the, the evil creatures, how he did it every single frame in After Effects to rotoscope stuff, and just... The, the film should have cost millions of dollars. They just put the work in themselves so it didn't, the money didn't come out of their pockets. But really what struck me about the film wasn't, you know, yes, the effects are good and, and they're mind-blowing, but it's the story that really captured me and how intimate it was in this broad scope of a feeling of a film and I just fell in love with it so the next day I grabbed the filmmakers I was like hey we need to go do an interview so we talked and had a great time and I just kind of told all the press guys yeah y'all messed out y'all missed out in a big way so as it came through to come to DVD I got to host a couple screenings and got Christopher to watch it and yeah it, this is a this movie's kind of like it, it's an infectious disease for film nerds because once you see it and you fall in love with it you have to tell everyone else about it and it is amazing um, I was able to put them in touch with you know, the Wyans in touch with Barry over at uh, Maui Watch these days and he hosted a screening at the college he was teaching at Josh's family got to come out and see it you know shortly after he had passed which was a really emotional experience for all of us and now that I'm a parent, I mean, my kid turns three in less than a week, which I'm not ready for. This film has such a, a, a different impact on me. You know, it, they, people say some movies hate you different, different as a parent. This film is about, at its core, family and what a father will do, the lengths he'll go to in order to save his little girl. And so this movie just wrecks me on a whole new level now. And I love it. Um, Jamin's next film, The Frame, was also incredibly good. It's an entirely different piece. Um, it's a lot more challenging, a lot less accessible in all the right ways. Worth checking out for sure if you haven't seen it. I think, I don't know if they're still on Amazon Prime or not. But anyway, you know, I, I love to spout about ink every chance I get. So there's my, you know, 50 cents or so. Take it easy, guys.
So yeah, there's a word that I hadn't used, I wouldn't use in unique, but uh, intimate is a, is a word he used to describe the film. And that's a really good word for the film because it is, I mean, you see inside this family, inside you know, John's life and the consequences of his actions in a very personal and private way. Yeah. Um, the other point he brought up that I thought was really good was um, that it's a family movie. And a scene we didn't talk about was when um, Jacob's, or not Jacob, uh, John's um, father-in-law comes to see him and plead with him to like mm-hmm. go see Emma. That was the scene, even though everything John says and does is horrible, that was when I started to identify with him because you find out he lost custody of his daughter to his in-laws and he says, you know, all those things you said at the hearing, you know, you turn the world against me. It's like, oh, I get it now. Like, he's not ignoring his daughter. He's just trying to hurt the person who hurt him right. first. Mm-hmm. And I get that. Like, I can understand those emotions and I can identify with them. Um, and so as it progressed, I just, I really started to 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 feel for John's character more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point that even, like, I kind of didn't want the in-laws to to be in the hallway when he walked by because he just sort of has to give him this like awkward look of like hey it took a car accident for me to be here yeah (laughs) (laughs) really wasn't my choice but here i am so might as well (laughs) yeah Yeah, well i really appreciate dave sending his thoughts in and he mentioned a lot of names that uh wouldn't be familiar to a lot of people other than those that were in that circle at the time and everything and talking about barry and billy and all them but uh, those were good times. Like I said, the, uh, it was at a Denver Starfest when you know the Ink crew and everything, and I didn't pay any attention to it. You know, mm-hmm. the Ink was running around in his rags and you know the makeup <laughs> and everything, and I didn't pay any attention to it. And kicking myself ever since because I've had nothing but questions for the filmmakers. <laughs> and I'd love to talk to them. I did reach out once, but I think they were knee deep in pre-production for the frame, the film he mentioned there, oh. which I have tried to watch. And it is, he's right. It's not as accessible as ink. Um, it's interesting. And it's a film I need to get back to and watch and, and try to finish. Cause I honestly, I never finished it. Mm. It's a, I what I've discovered before I finally had I had to stop was you know, there's it kind of follows two people and at the end of their day they go home and watch their favorite TV show, which happens to be each other. Huh. Uh, <laughs> so okay. yeah, um, different. <laughs> yeah, a little different. A little different. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's get back into that one. But uh, yeah, again, thanks very much for sending that in, Dave. Uh, I know it was kind of crunch time. He was thinking he was going to do this big thing and pull out his recording gear. I'm like, I wasn't expecting anything more than just you on your phone. But right. <laughs> so uh, it was pretty, yeah, he, he volunteered the mention that he might do it. And then I kind of harangued him for the last three days to see if he was going to do it or not. So a little, maybe a little bit under duress. <laughs> he sent that in. <laughs> now this is fun to, to talk about. I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope it's a film that maybe, you know, I think their DVDs are still only like $10 from their oh, website. Wow. So I'm, and their Blu-rays maybe fifteen twenty. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't think they're that much. And they, it's available on a few streaming sites. So um, I don't know. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Um, here, if your um, library subscribes to the Hoopla um, website or a feature, you can actually borrow it from there for free from the library, which is really cool. If you can't actually get a copy itself from the library, so there there are ways to go about it. Or I guess you know you can go 
BitTorrent <laughs> somewhere. Apparently the Made film popular in the first place. Yeah, the <laughs> filmmakers don't mind. They're just glad to get the film out there. So Yeah, I'm just really glad you you, you enjoyed it. I was I had a feeling you would. I didn't know if you would really like it or just like it a little, but I, I knew you wouldn't hate it. No, definitely didn't hate it. Probably somewhere in between of liking it a little and really liking it. Like I, I really enjoyed it. It made me think about a lot of things, and, mm-hmm. and that's what I want a movie to do. Excellent. Then I guess we will say thank you very much for downloading. Uh, keep doing so. You find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and I think that's about it. Or just go to timeshifterspodcast.com. If you'd like to send any thoughts, if you've seen Inc., if you are a member of the Inc. Army that like to go and uh, spread the word, or if you're one of the few people that didn't make it through the 15 minutes or <laughs> you did sit through and didn't like it, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Just send an email or an MP3 to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. So that's going to do it. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. See ya. One thing begets the next. A man has a weakness. He's flawed. That flaw leads him to guilt. The guilt leads into shame. The shame he compensates with pride and vanity. And when pride fails, despair takes over and they all lead to his destruction. Who will become his fate? Something's gotta stop the flow.